Hi, th this is Roberta Fallon. I'm Imani Roach. And we're here today with Taji Raufnal. Welcome, Taji. Thanks for being with us at the radio. And Taji is an interdisciplinary artist using video, performance, music, poetry, processionals, sculpture, installation, fashion. Did I miss anything? Mm. <laughs> that's, that's it. That's it. that's it for the moment. Okay, we'll get into more stuff. Um, you work collaboratively, which we want to ask you about, because not everybody can do that. Um, so, and you, it's part of your practice to work collaboratively. So let's start there. Who, okay. who, do, you, who do you like to collaborate with? Like other musicians and performers? Um, uh, with the name of God, most gracious, most merciful. Um, I like to collaborate with people who want to collaborate with me. Uh -huh. First of all, it has to be a two-way street. It has to be win-win. It has to be beneficial for both parties or the multiple parties. Um, is this mic on? <laughs> <laughs> and um, so. so that's the that's the first thing. And um, that the genesis mm. of that just came from me. Just I like human beings, so. And I like having conversations, and I like exploring. And I know that uh, being an artistic practitioner, I have my blind spots. And working with other people can fill those blind spots for me. Have you always worked collaboratively? Or is that something that developed over the years? That's pretty much ha how it all started. Yeah, It's always been part of the process. You know, because I actually was a um, gallery owner um, here in Philadelphia for some years. Yeah, tell us about that, because you told me that before, and it was an old city, right? Correct. And what was it called? Taji Modern Gallery. And, and that was, what era? You're talking from 89 to 2010. And uh, so I was on the other side of the fence, and... That's how I met, you know, all the great people that I like to, you know, I have met over the years. And so as a gallerist, you know, I'm looking for artists, I'm curating for my space, et cetera, et cetera. And so I need their art to make my space sing the way I wanted it to sing. So that was the genesis of it. What made you open your own space? What did you want to sort of accomplish that wasn't already out there? Well, it wasn't about what wasn't there. It was what was resonating in me. Yeah. Um, I grew up in a, in an art community. And um, as a young man, I had the fortune of uh, experiencing a lot of different things growing up. And when I settled on, um, established myself as an entrepreneur in the art community, I was like, this is it, mm -hmm. you know? I, I did everything in life from, you know, driving buses and being a hack driver, uh, uh, being a teacher, to, you know, mopping floors for a living, and it just resonated with me. It just, so. Wow. And who did you show? Can you name some of the artists that you showed mm -hmm. at 
Your gallery? Um, Jay Camp. Jay Camp was a uh, man who worked for the wood. Um, hmm. um, he's uh, deceased now. And um, Did you like, show Terry Atkins? Yes, I showed Terry's work as well. Um, in fact, one of the pieces uh, that uh, showed at my place that was uh, uh, Atkins' work is at the uh, MoMA right now. Yeah, so. Do you own it? Is it on loan from no, you? No, no. I, I tried to acquire that piece, but uh, that didn't happen. But I do have other works from Terry. Tell us how you got to know Terry Atkins. From coming into my gallery. Um, this was like 2001, 2002. And he was just perusing the city, you know, doing what he does, hunting, you know. He was hunting. always hunting. And was he new? He must have been pretty new to Philly at yes, that point. Yes, I think he had just got his um, position at uh, Penn, et cetera, et cetera. And we hit it off immediately, you know. It was like... What are you doing in here with this stuff? Because <laughs> like, I was an anomaly, you know, because I did with 20th century design specifically and modern art abstract work. So that was my base. And, you know, I will always get, you know, like, how did you know about this stuff? You know, because traditionally African-Americans, you know, we didn't know about 20th century design furnishings. We didn't know about fine art, et cetera, et cetera. So, and then I'm not, you know, I don't come from academia, so I didn't study at a university. I was self-taught. I'm self-taught. So these are the things I studied, you know, as a teenager coming up on my own, you know. So, and so when Terry comes in and Jamal Adin Takuma and all these other great guys, Mr. Camp, you know, like, or just general people, they was like, what are you doing here, doing this? And that was always like a mantra. <laughs> For, or what I would see all the time from people when they came in and experienced, you know. So. You mentioned being self-taught. Um, how has your experience of Philadelphia institutions been as a self-taught artist? Are people welcoming to you? Um, uh, yes. In fact, not at a surprise, but you know, I'm an outsider in that sense. In fact, people would say to me, you know, early on, well, you're an outsider since you haven't, you don't have any degrees or anything like that. But, you know, of course, you find out outside is a whole nother class of artists. Right. <laughs> That's you're, now you're getting really, to be inside. Right, exactly. You know, you're just self-taught, you know. So, and, you know, I wear it as a badge of honor because um, I've been fortunate to, you know, to have the interest that I have and explore those interests. You know, I'm, you know, pretty much, you know, the base of what I do is is dealing with research. You know, so um, and searching. So I'm like, a, I love going down rabbit holes. You know, You've gone there. down some. So let's talk about <laughs> your researching. Um, the first time I was aware of your art was at the Icebox in okay. the Unlisted show. Mm. And you had a very large and powerful piece that focused on the work of Benjamin Banneker. Yes. So yeah. you researched that. Who Tell us yes. who that is and mm -hmm. what you did. Make it, um, paint the picture of what mm -hmm. it looked like, because it was quite wonderful. 
Thank you very much. Um, part of my practice is I find figures, you know, muse to pull from to build abstract stories around lives or personas. And I came across Banneker on accident. It was, it was a rabbit hole. It was another rabbit hole. I was getting ready to do a show at Rittenhouse Soundworks. And when I was going to do this installation there, and I was going to do it in their raw space, which is like 5,000, uh, I don't know how, it was huge, humongous space. And he, um, Jim Hamilton was going to allow me to have like seven days in the space while I was in this raw state to create. So then I said, well, I'm in Rittenhouse Soundworks. Hmm, let me find some things about Rittenhouse. So he, and Jim Hamilton himself is a historian, you know, lay historian. And he was telling me about, you know, the, Ham, uh, the, um, the Rittenhouse family, et cetera, et cetera. So I started digging. And then as I was digging, I was finding this correlation between Rittenhouse and um, Banneker. And I said, that's where I'm going to start at. I'm going to start with Banneker's relationship with and then as I'm starting digging, and I heard of Banneker as a teenager and as a child, but never was had this real strong knowledge base of him. And then from there, I'm finding out that, you know, he's the classic polymath. You know, he's the classic Renaissance man. I'm like, oh my goodness. He wasn't just a mathematician. You know, he just wasn't just an astronomer. You know, he was uh, he was a farmer. He was he was a landowner. He owned over 100 acres of land, which is equivalent to, you may say 100 acres, okay, what is that? It's like 100 football fields, professional football fields. That's how much land this man owned. You know, um, he raised tobacco. Mm. Um, he was a, a, a naturalist. Uh, what else did he do? Um, he wrote treaties and, and uh, papers on, on bees and lotus. Because he probably kept bees, right? Maybe. Maybe uh, uh, that I'm not sure of, but he knew the importance of them. You know, which we are suffering from today. You know, mm -hmm. the importance of bees. And he wrote uh, in his almanac. You know, he was an author. You know, he had his own almanac. And so, that rabbit hole of Banneker, I wanted to find abstract ways to tell that story. And so, you know, one of the things we did was around constellations, you know, him being an astronomer looking up in the sky. So I had these, um, I found these uh, mats that were used for playgrounds where children would play on, and they were like grid work, and they were of blue and green and white. So I'm like, land, you know, with the green, blue, the sky. So I hoisted his massive, um, I guess it was maybe 25 feet long by 20, 20 feet wide and it had it as like it was constellations and, they, and since they were a grid, you can see through them so the lights would pierce through them, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So um, then he had this apparatus he would use to lay on the ground um, to look up into the, into the heavens. So um, I took that idea and I simulated this piece of uh, this scope that looks up into the heavens. And um, my show and tell, even though people can't see here, maybe I'll put a picture on a blog or something. 
where um, the visionary that he was, I did this piece made from a crystal doorknob and this African letter opening. You know, and he was of African uh, descent. He was from um, Mali. So I was like, and they're from the Dogon people, and they were people who appreciated the stars and the heavens, and they were scientists. So he had, it was innate in them, it was that background. I was like, oh my goodness. And then <clears throat> all the information that I did find out about him, one of the persons who did a book on him said that <clears throat> people had forgot about his legacy. And, and it wasn't until 1985 when they had found this archaeological finds of some remains from his, where his grounds was. And then the interest in Banneker picked back up. And so I wanted to find a way to bring him into the fore, and especially into the art world. So and that's a pretty extensive piece. And I'm still developing that piece. And the, and the concept is called Calculating Banneker. And from calculating Banneker, we're, um, we're pulling together a, um, a piece where we can, you know, write, uh, put grants, you know, put it together in the package as a grant package. You know, I'm looking to get some funding for the other things that I couldn't do, you know, without the, the revenue to really explore. So something that I'm looking forward to. And then I have some people, which go back to the collaboration, I have George Lewis, George E. Lewis, who, you know, great George Lewis, who won the MacArthur, you know, uh, Jamalatine Tukuma, um, who a Pew recipient, um, uh, Raphael Xavier, who won a, just won a Guggenheim, and uh, a Pew as well, and uh, Meg Foley, another Pew recipient. So I have these this team of people that I'm going to collaborate with for uh, to expand the project even more. I'm really looking forward for that. You know, so, if you're out there, all you, uh, <laughs> you know, funders, listen up now. Yes. <laughs> it's interesting because I mean that's a very, like, historically rich subject matter, um, but it also seems to, also have some resonance with, like, a futuristic kind of mode, and I know that that's a part of what you do also. Yes. Um, and it's interesting because obviously futurism is having like a real resurgence in the last, I don't know, five, ten years. Mm -hmm. um, has that always been a part of your work as well, or is that more recent for you? No, it's, it's always been a part of it. You know, part of my practice is past, present, future. You know, um, you know like I grew up uh, a lover of the Bauhaus era. You know, that was one of the first rabbit holes I, I delved into, you know, back in the early 80s. And that whole Bauhaus community was about the future. You know, everything that was created from, from that community was, wasn't going on right then. So even though they had their base in the past, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and they were, they were making things, like, all the time. Exactly. In the present. Exactly. So, so they did the past, present, future, too. So let, let's talk about music, because mm -hmm. a big part of your performing mm -hmm. involves 
you making new musical instruments mm -hmm. out of things that are not considered musical instruments, mm -hmm. and then making music with them. Mm -hmm. So when did music come into your life? Was it in your life when you were young and you know you grew up around music? Yes, you know, from the cradle, to, it's from the cradle. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I like to tell the story of uh, going out with my mother. I'm seven, eight years old, and she's going to a friend's house, and they're having a soiree, and the music was just permeate through the space, and I was just this young lad, just able to run upstairs, downstairs, into the backyard, onto the front porch, and music was just all around. And that was a constant. It was like, Every other week we were going somewhere, or my mother and my uh, my uncles and, and my and my father would give events, and it would be small personal events to something that what people would you know pay to come to. Hmm. So that was always there, you know. You know, my uncles had shaker rays and and kungas uh, and you know bells and tambourines and. Not so much piano, not the classically, you know, stuff like that, but, you know, from the As African diaspora. Um, so. But that's, know, the then there's a leap that you made mm -hmm. to make your own instruments. Yeah. That's a tip off from um, Terry Atkins. Uh -huh. you know? um, now, even prior to Terry, you know, I had did a sculpture back in the 80s um, with tuba, the horns of the tuba and that little story there started from I was a custodian at a high school around about 80 to 83 and the section that I would clean was the uh, was one of the sections was this musical department mm -hmm. and then over the summer they would get me rid of all this stuff I'm like y'all trashing this mm -hmm. oh my goodness so I didn't even have to jump in jump in a dumpster you know because I'm a I am a dumpster diver so, um, I'm like, I'll take all of them. It was like eight, I mean, and these are tuber, and they're huge. So I brought them home, and I said, I know what I'm going to do with them. I had just, we had this um, single family dwelling with, you know, land all around us and what have you. And I had just cut down this tree that was on the front lawn to much of my, uh, the uh, disgruntled, children uh, that I have four children and my wife and four children and they weren't happy with that but the, the tree was damaging the house so I cut this tree down and I said you know what I'm going to put these horns on this stump and I created this mound with the horns and then every once in a while I would just go out and blow in them and whatever and play so with the kids around them. So you made a monument, a tuba monument. <laughs> For the missing tree, yeah. <laughs> so um, but you know, Terry did this uh, piece, in fact, which is in the MoMA show right now. Um, I, believe, I believe it's called The Arc Horns. And when I seen those, I was like, oh, my goodness. These are fantastic. The idea that a sculpture that actually you can actually play. So I have this series that are called um, Sonic Sculptures, which right now are are up to the six of them right now um, from anything that's percussive versus wind and um, 
I ask about storage? Storage. <laughs> Don't say that around my wife. <laughs> in the garage. We have okay. a we have a huge detached garage and everything is stored there. And then, you know, some stuff is in the house. In the house. Mm -hmm. But my wife's favorite piece is not in the house. It's wrapped up. I gotta get it out for her. Mm -hmm. I think after this podcast, I'm gonna have to go pull it out and put that <laughs> put that one out. I think that Which sounds a like a good piece. idea. Yeah. What is it? What does it look like? Um, what is it's it an abstract painting um, mm. that I did for the series um, called uh, Strings of Consciousness, and I found these. Um, they were vinyl sheets that were like thirty foot long vinyl sheets. And um, I wanted to do something around scrolls, so the the idea of it being scrolling vinyl sheets, so they you know hang from the ceiling, thirty foot ceiling, and then come down to the floor. So my wife wants one of those. So we were just talking about some of your sound sculptures, mm. um, and you know your long history with music. Um, do you, and you draw from all these different disciplines in your work, do you think about them as separate or is it all just kind of one practice to you? It's, it's all life. So my work is about life and living. Um, so, and it, the base, the inception of that came uh, when I was on uh, Third Street at the uh, gallery um, before my practice really you know, took off. Um, I was putting together a, an event called Philadelphia Renaissance Report where I would be able to showcase uh, music, artwork, and fashion all together like a magazine. Hence, there was a magazine that had just came out around that time called Wallpaper. And that came around, I think, to the year 2000, somewhere around there. So this idea of a live magazine, so that was the concept, hmm. you know. So Philadelphia Renaissance Report, and then I was going to feature Jamal Adin Takuma, Terry Atkins, and a host of all these people that I had these, this uh, connection in all these different communities, you know, the fashion community. So <clears throat> that was the inception. And then from that, I said, yes, this is how I like to move. You know, even with the gallery, I wasn't a traditional gallery because I had furnishings, you know, you know, I would have a Mies van der Rohe couch or, you know, side table or Eileen Gray floor lamp, and then I'll have this, you know, abstract, you know. So when you came to the gallery, I tried to make it feel like it was a, somebody's home or somebody's vault. Mm -hmm. So those, there was always the movement, and so it was mm -hmm. just a natural progression for me. Mm -hmm. You know, I, did, I don't like separate, just like, you know, I'm a Muslim. And we don't have um, separation of church and state. You know, being a Muslim, everything is all together. It's like a, which is called deen. It's called way of life. So to be a Muslim is this. This is how you live. So to be peaceful and be, you know, to be humbled and and, and cordial with people, et cetera, et cetera. So these were, you know, I couldn't separate. You know, you know, cause, and I know. From you know schools and they talk about you know uh, especially early on it was like in the fifties and sixties you know pick up this particular discipline and stick with that and just do that you know so in that regard I was like 
yeah, I'm glad I didn't go to a school because they would have been telling me this. You have to just, just paint, just paint, or just uh, do metal sculptures. You know, so. you're you're like the polymath, like Banneker. <laughs> right, right, right. And I, and I tell you, when I did the Banneker piece, it was like, almost like a I'm doing a, a biography, autobiography, because it was like, this is I'm I am Banneker. You know, I, I really felt like this. And, and like one of my uh, early muse was um, Paul Robeson. Mm. You know, this is the same scenario. Mm -hmm. You know, he, oh, I'm going to be a lawyer. And then he, when he found that, well, y'all not going to really let me be <laughs> a lawyer <laughs> because y'all not going to let me in the door. Then his wife said, hey, won't you sing your voices? And then he still used his lawyerly skills as he developed and he maneuvered through you know, society as a... Um, as a performing artist, you know, a debater, et cetera, et cetera. So. You've also done some work with Octavius Caddo. You've gone yes. down that rabbit hole. Yeah. Yes, and yes. he's going to have his moment sometime soon, yes, finally, yes. in Philadelphia. Yeah. So what was your project? Where, What have you done with Octavius um, Caddo? I did a uh, stage production. <laughs> Something else we didn't have. Stage production called... Everybody um, wants to be Malcolm, and the one that had Cato in it was uh, "Stay Free." Frederick Douglass says, "Stay free." Mm -hmm. So, since it was, the play was about Frederick Douglass, and it was about Frederick Douglass coming back to at the time it was 2015, because his soul couldn't rest because of all the social upheaval, and you know he was a frustrated ancestor. Mm -hmm. So he comes back to 2015, and he brought some of his friends with. And then some of his friends weren't necessarily from his time frame. Some of his friends were from 1950s and 1940s, 1970s. So I had this cast of char characters, uh, and Cato was one of them. And, uh, and that cast of people um, was called the Defenders of the Republic, hmm. uh, which okay. is a, uh, another body of work, stream of body of work, mm -hmm. Defenders of the Republic. Which you know, Cato is one of those Bannerkers, et cetera, et cetera. And Douglas. And Douglas, Frederick Douglas, that's sure. And people who you wouldn't even think were defenders, but they found that in their own way. You know, like uh, Madame Curie. You know, I, I see her as a defender because mm -hmm. of what she stood up for in her scientific practices. I mean, you bring up this idea of frustrated ancestors, mm -hmm. and you also mentioned earlier about Dean and your faith. Mm -hmm. It seems like spirituality plays a fairly significant role in your oh, work. Oh, yes, definitely. Can you talk a little bit more about that? That's the starting point, you know. Um, and concretely, what I like to point to is when I do an installation uh, or I have the opportunity to, you know, be a solo show or a group show, um, I do two things. One is I establish Kipler, and Kipler is the di direction that uh, Muslims face for prayer. Mm -hmm. So wherever the venue is, if I have the option to uh, choose my place in the venue, I like to shoot, choose the place that is, is the direction for prayer. Then, and if I can't, I still find a way to honor that. So facing Mecca, right? Yes, facing Mecca, yes. So that that's one. And then 
um, I haven't used it in the last show. I have this scroll of text that I found some years ago back in the, back in the 80s that was that is a uh, um, a, uh, a passage from the Holy Quran and in this passage is called the um, Lord of the throne or the throne and it talks about God's majesty and his love for humanity for his creatures human creatures etc cetera, etc cetera. and um, I would put this scroll somewhere in the in the in the space so and i always start out with god's name you know just like i did at the intro of this you know because you know my goal you know my goal is uh paradise you know everybody has what they want out of life and out of this life i want to be you know god's mercy to be merciful enough to let me in paradise you know otherwise all this is for nothing for me you know so and then um, that's the all start off start and end for me you know so that's why my work is about compassion you know, uh, which that's what my Rauf means and Rauf Atelier you know is the house of passion hmm. compassion hmm. Yeah. I wondered what that meant yeah, yeah. me too <laughs> thank you for explaining mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit about children you have four children. four children do you see them following you into art are they going to be polymath in their approach to the world well they're all grown now the youngest is 27 i think for the record I'll, I'll <laughs> oh my god you look too young to have a kid 27 and the oldest is 32 so and they are and they're educators in fact Three of them, my three daughters are educator, and my son is an artist. And who's the youngest? And my son is the youngest, Yassine. And he's an artist. And he's more uh, doing uh, fashion from uh, upcycle, that's what they call it. Mm. Upcycle, taking clothing apart, putting it back together, and that's what he does. Mm. And, um, that's like what you do with objects in your sculpture. Right. And that's how all this started, too. You know, that's another thing, how I started doing that, you know, the upcycling, and uh, which was, the brand was called Animated Man. Not was. It still is. Because it has become a backdrop, you know, so, so to speak, you know. So when I costume people, that comes from my collection and what have you. But, um, you know, so the children, um, they... They're set. However, my grandchildren, <laughs> I have uh, three grandchildren. And so my granddaughter, uh, who's the oldest, Anissa, she's nine. She has uh, put on two stage productions. Oh, wow. And she's working on her third. She was going to do one this summer, but, you know, summer got away from her. So she's she just told me the other day that we're going to do it in the spring. So she, she's working on her third stage production. And um, I utilize my, uh, my children and my grandchildren in my practice as well. So you'll see them as subject matter, et cetera, et cetera, for whatever appropriate. So we should mention that you're, you, are, you have a lively internet presence. Oh. You're on Vimeo, Facebook, um, Instagram. Mm -hmm. So people, if you want to see videos of Taji's work, Taji's work, go to, we'll put the links in the post so that right. you can link over to mm -hmm. see his work. Um, 
I would like to say about that, I'm going to launch, relaunch a new website because I was using Instagram as my portfolio. I wouldn't post a classic, oh, I'm out tonight, da-da-da-da, and this is my food, or I'm out with my wife and the grandchildren. So everything that you see posted when you go to the uh, Instagram page is the work. You know, so the videos that you're seeing, the video clips, and it is the work. So, so mm-hmm. from that, I'm going to, I'm putting as of today. <laughs> so it's launching September 14th, probably like midnight, just before midnight. Great. And what's the URL? Is it uh, Raouf Atelier? I forget. <laughs> okay, you're going to send it to us. I'll send it to you. Yeah. Imani, anything else you want to ask? I mean, I. I really was interested in what you were saying about compassion being like a central part of everything you do. Um, I think particularly now with everything that's going on in the world, that's probably difficult. And I'm wondering how you sort of keep that at that outlook, mm-hmm. you know? Well, I don't, first of all, I don't see it as difficult. Hmm. So, because that's part of my makeup, hmm. you know? So if it was difficult, then, I wouldn't be able to get out of bed. Mm-hmm. So, and because um, part of compassion, it, Dave Chappelle did this quote, um, and he talked about how being compassion, being compassionate, you have to you have to not like somebody because they are a certain way, mm-hmm. and how that's a misnomer because you practice a certain thing. I have to hate you. So I don't come from that. And then when I heard this quote from him, I wish I could actually regurgitate it, but I, I can't right now. But um, it's in, I used it, I, in fact, I used the quote in one of my uh, performances. And uh, I'll maybe send a link about this quote from Dave Chappelle because he did it so well. But um, I don't see it as, as difficult. I see it as more necessary. Mm. That's how I see it. And. Um, and that's what I stand on, because you know? I have I have friends and uh, that runs the runs the rainbow, you know, from you know people who you think are racist that really aren't, you know, you might say you might think they are because they they act a certain way when they actually are not, you know, then I and that's on both sides, black quote unquote black races and white races, to. Um, you know, the man that's, you know, the bum on the street, you know, uh, to the man that's, you know, in the highest stations of, you know, and I have no problem with anybody. So, and, I've, and I can relate, and that's another thing that, why my work is so collaborative, that I do have that range, that I'm not intimidated by somebody that's, you know, president of the United States to, you know, a king of a, a country to, you know, the guy that sits in the right next to me on the train. I don't have that problem. Because God is bigger than all of us. Well, it's been great talking to you, and I think we'll let it be, we'll let you have the last word. Thank you so much, Taji. It's yes. been great talking with you, and congratulations on your work. You. And we all look forward to seeing it soon somewhere. Great, great. Thank you. Uh, last word. Um, somebody asked me that one time. I was like, "You want to give me last word?" That's going to take <laughs> about forty-five minutes. But no, um, I, I really appreciate the opportunity. 
Um, one of my uh, friends and cl collaborators have um, was here a few months ago. Um, uh, Herman uh, Sherman Fleming. Sherman Fleming. Sherman yes. Fleming's. Mm -hmm. And you know, guys like that who are very inspirational for me. Um, it's like ode to him and guys like him and women like him. And Roberta, I, I thank you so much. And Roberta and I, I remember Roberta, she came past uh, a show that Terry did, um, and she has a photograph of my granddaughter in the show we uh, was at the uh, Du Bois House. Du Bois House. It was yeah. a John Brown, John Brown. processional yes. and yes, performance. Yeah, so that's where I remember Roberta from. Yeah. yeah. I think well, you were in that photo, yeah, too. yeah. Was up there with my spike standing next to yep. Terry, <laughs> going at it. Yeah, that was amazing. Well, thank you again. Thank, thank you, you so very yes. much.